when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's god entitle them a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism it is their right it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government the history of the present king of great britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states to prove this let facts be submitted to a candid world all right ladies and gentlemen this is the capo podcast and this week i'm going to do the declaration of independence we're going to talk about the founding fathers we're going to keep with the same spirit of uh doing stuff that i used to do when i was a teacher um things that i think are not really done very well in most public schools if there's one thing that i think isn't taught very well in the public school system it is the declaration of independence the constitution government just as a whole and the the american philosophy the ideas that built the country in which we live because part of the reason i think we've strayed from this is because we don't really as a group as a whole we don't really believe in these things anymore and to explain that i'm going to have to get into defining what the american philosophy is but before i get there just understand going into this that we don't believe this anymore not as a whole not as a country um most people that you meet in your day-to-day life anybody you you ask on the street 
isn't going to have the faintest, foggiest freaking notion of most of what we're going to talk about. And if you're wondering what the problem is, this is definitely part of it. Because cultures, governments, countries are built upon their ideas. The ideas that are shared with the people who found the the country and the culture. And if the people no longer share a kind of collective or mostly collective idea, philosophy, kind of mission statement, then we're lost. I mean, we're, we're not, uh, we're not all going in the same direction. We're not all pulling up the same hill. We're not all aiming at the same target. And that's what's going on in the country in part. Um, I don't think it's the only problem, but it's certainly probably the largest problem. And part of that problem, part of the reason this is happening is because for a very long time, the public school system and parents have neglected to teach their children what we as Americans believe, this American philosophy that I'm talking about. And it's almost all contained, or most of it is contained, at least, in the Declaration of Independence. This document is more than just kind of the breakup letter that we sent to Great Britain. This is a declaration not of just independence of, but it's a, it's a declaration of what we, and when I say we, I mean the Founding Fathers, what they believed, and why they believed they were justified in doing what they did. So, let's talk about the American philosophy. And when I say the American philosophy, I mean the the ideas on which we kind of hang our hat. The things that we believe in in a collective way to form our government, our society, our culture. And the people who say that there is no American culture, they are wrong. Um, there is an American culture, there is an American philosophy, an American idea. And I think I've kind of touched on this in earlier episodes. Uh, it's not like we just came up with all of it and went from there. It's not like this was invented out of whole cloth. It It is largely... The American philosophy is largely this culmination of classical liberalism and all of European history kind of blended in with Judeo-Christian ideas and uh, Greek and Roman government ideas. And all of this kind of came to a head in the late Enlightenment with the Age of Revolution, in which America was kind of the first big kind of push in the age of revolution. And the American philosophy goes kind of something like this. It rests on three basic principles. And the first one, number one, the first idea is that the reality of natural rights uh, pre-exist government. So natural rights are the idea and that idea is something that is before 
pre-existing any government has ever created. So to understand what this means, first you have to define what natural rights are. And natural rights are a classical liberal idea, and we can also call them negative rights. And a negative right means that to exercise the right, the only thing required is to be left alone. Um, and this is different than a positive right. For a positive, quote-unquote, right to be a right, something is required from someone else for your benefit, for your right to be exercised. And this is why, you know, free college, free housing, free healthcare are not rights in the way the American philosophy defines rights. Because nothing is free. Someone, somewhere, has to pay for it, whether with money or by labor to produce whatever the good or service is. The only way that something can be free is if an individual is forced to produce a good or service without being compensated for it. And I don't know if you know, but that's called slavery. So, natural rights are negative rights. It means it's a right that you can exercise as long as everybody just leaves you the hell alone. So, next, we need to, uh, we need to explain what we mean by pre-exist. Because these, these rights, the Founding Fathers believe, pre-exist government. For natural law to work, for natural law to pre-exist government, it means that this law was in place in our human psyche or in our soul before the first government was formed. And this was a belief of the Founding Fathers of classical liberalism that natural rights were inherited and sacred rights, inherent sacred rights handed down by God, by the Creator. That's the natural state of mankind was to live under these natural rights. And this is kind of going off on a tangent, but there are a lot of people, and I noticed this kind of in the the modern kind of right-wing conservative movement, there's a lot of people that kind of blame where we are now on the classical liberal ideas of John Locke, which is where a lot of this comes from. And I don't really think that's, that's fair. Um, you can't really blame modern liberalism on classical liberalism because modern li liberalism was compromised and co-opted by a lot of stupid Marxist progressive ideas way back in the early 1900s. And there's a lot of people that say that this is just kind of the logical end of this philosophical thinking. I don't really buy that. So that's my that's my side note to that. I don't I don't think classical liberalism is at fault for where modern liberalism has has taken us to this place of modern liberalism is just marxist ideas by another name. It's it's completely unrelated, I think, to classical liberalism. And I'm I'm no genius. I'm I'm not saying that I have all the answers or I'm as as smart as some of the people who say this. But in my humble kind of retarded opinion, 
I don't think classical liberalism is the fault or is at fault for all of this kind of modern, weird, progressive liberalism that's basically just Marxist ideas. So back back on back on track here. Classical liberalism was this belief that the founding fathers had that natural rights were inherited and sacred rights that were handed down by God. Uh, in fact, Thomas Jefferson, when they were writing the Declaration of Independence, because he is the the author, uh, he wrote the Declaration with some help from Benjamin Franklin and some others. And Thomas Jefferson actually wanted to say these were sacred rights. Um, and he was a little bit talked out of it, I think, by Franklin. But because uh, Franklin thought it might be better to, to come off as more secular than religious. Either way, whatever they wrote, they, they believed that these rights were inherited by God, by a creator. And they thought that the natural state of mankind was to live under these natural rights. And they also believed that any system that tried to infringe on or remove these rights was inherently and morally incorrect, was wrong. And not just, be, not just because we decide it, not just because we, we think it's wrong, but because it cuts against what they viewed as the natural state of free men. So, that is what we mean by natural rights and what we mean by pre-existing government. These rights are given to us by God. And there's a huge caveat here, and you're already starting to see the problem. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in any sort of God, it's pretty hard to, you know, buy in to the idea of natural rights, pre-existing government handed down by God, by a creator. If you don't believe in any sort of creator, if you don't believe in any sort of God, how are you going to believe in a, a natural, objective, moral situation of mankind. So, already up front, you're starting to see the problem. Most people today, I say most, the majority of people in modern America don't believe in God, don't believe in any sort of God, and therefore can't really believe in the American philosophy of natural rights that pre-exist government given to us, bestowed on us by a creator, by a god, by a natural state. So, that's number one. Number two, the second kind of part of the American philosophy is the, the equality of men before the law and in their rights. Now, this was a really revolutionary idea at the time. Um, nowadays, it's pretty well kind of accepted, but at the time, this was a really revolutionary idea that human, human beings have this equality before the law. And uh, no matter what class you are, no matter what hierarchy you belong to, uh, if your father was a dirt farmer, the law is supposed to apply to you the same way it applies to the son of, you know, a king or some great powerful man. This is this was at the time a very uniquely American idea be because it was a damnation of the existing power structure of nobility that 
pervaded Europe at the time. And this is why Americans still to this day, we don't recognize titles of nobility like knighthood or royalty. If if you're like a famous rock singer and England declares that, like, knights you and says you're a sir, as Americans, we're not really supposed to care that. We're not, we're not going to call you sir, when, whatever, in America. Uh, we don't believe in those titles of nobility. And that's another thing that you see nowadays people don't quite understand. Um, but that's a, that's something that for a very long time Americans wouldn't do. We, we wouldn't address people as their nobility status. Um, but now we, you know, we kind of do. All, I don't know why half of America is just enchanted by the British royal family, but uh, seems like we are. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, God save the king or whatever. And while we're on that subject, it's kind of weird to me that like, uh, it's the left. Well, it's not really surprising because the left is all anti-imperialism and, and super Marxist, but uh, it seems like it's the left that's like incensed against uh, the British royal family now, and it's actually like the conservative, the Republican side that's that's a little bit toned down on that and more respectful of the English crown. And in some ways that's a little weird to me because of how we started, but in other ways, it makes absolute sense. Like, uh, the conservative side has, has a little more respect for, for what built kind of the modern world. And we understand that their, the British royal family and other royal families kind of played an integral part in the last hundred years of, you know, European history, whereas the rabid, Marxist on the left want to tear literally everything down to the foundation stones so they can rebuild their utopia, which will actually not be a utopia at all, but it will be a, a horrifying dystopia that uh, if you want to see what it will look like, you can listen to all of the audiobooks that are on this podcast. There's there's my plug for, for the episode for the audiobooks. All right, back to the subject. Uh, number three, the third kind of aspect of the American philosophy, and this is the one that I think we've we've lost the trail on the most. So number three is this belief that government exists only to protect natural rights and equality before the law. And this is a very simple idea, and the, the idea is that the government... Its only job is to protect and defend natural rights for the people. And that's it. The government isn't supposed to make you happy. The government isn't supposed to raise your children for you. The government isn't supposed to support you financially. The government isn't supposed to protect you from climate change. The government is supposed to protect just the natural rights that we talked about. Uh, life, liberty, property, if you're talking about John Locke, the pursuit of happiness for the citizens. So, what does that mean? Uh, well, you have to have some sort of military to protect your borders. You have to have a system of law to protect property and freedom and arbitrate. Uh, 
arbitrate disputes between people. You have to have organized cooperation between the states. And that's really about it. So that's what I mean when we've lost the trail here of the American philosophy, because the government, especially the federal government, has involved itself in so much more than it was ever meant to involve itself in. In the, in the beginning of the country, the declaration, the, the birth of the American philosophy, the government, especially a kind of federal government, was never supposed to get its tentacles into all this other stuff. It was only meant to preserve and protect natural rights and protect the people. And if you listen to, like the opening when I'm reading the Declaration, the whole thing that Jefferson and the founders are saying is when a government ceases to do that, when it starts to become destructive to that fundamental end of government to protect natural rights, that's when it is the duty and the responsibility, and responsibility is a more important word there, to of the people to, to throw off that government and to create a new government that is focused on just that. And boy, if we've lost the thread on anything in modern America, it's, it's definitely that. Now, as we read earlier in the Declaration, this American philosophy believes that these truths are self-evident and even sacred. And that is important to understand. This is the, the foundation of all of it is these are the truths that we believe, we hold them sacred, and here's what they are. And those are the three things that we just covered. And they're very simple. It's we believe these basic things. And if the government is not doing those things, well then, we have a problem. But, and here's the, here's the argument against the founders that's always brought up um, every single time you talk about this. And that is, of course, well, what about slavery? And this is the, the argument of the 1619 Project, and everybody on the left is uh, slavery was still going on during this time. Doesn't that mean all of this is useless, all of this is bullshit, none of it matters, they were all hypocrites, and that's all, we just need to throw it away and do something different. What's the answer to that? Does, does, it, does that fact mean that all of this is bullshit? Well, of course it doesn't. Um, so the short answer is no, you idiot. Um, it, but of course there's a longer answer that we need to go into to explain that. So let's go in to the longer answer. And the longer answer is more complicated than no, you idiot, but it's, it's still pretty simple. When we talk about slavery, slavery was something and is something that has existed since the beginning of time. And the, the only reason that slavery ever even stopped in most of the world was a direct result of these same ideas that grew out of the Enlightenment movement in Europe. Um, the, the first country to 
get rid of slavery in the world was Great Britain, was the, the English Empire. And they got rid of slavery and even uh, patrolled the seas and tried to kind of enforce ending the, the reality of slavery. And America was right behind them. Most of the Founding Fathers, if not all of the Founding Fathers, recognized that slavery was a problem that cut against the Enlightenment philosophy of uh, classical liberal ideas. Um, and just because some of the Founders owned slaves didn't mean they didn't recognize that this was an inconsistency and a problem. Jefferson, for example, who the guy that wrote the Declaration of Independence, um, he owned slaves. And even though he owned slaves, um, it's pretty well known. It's, it's no secret that Jefferson's slaves, um, by the standard of living in the world at the time, Jefferson slaved had a better had a better standard of living than most white people in the world at that time. Um, it was illegal to provide education to slaves because people thought it was dangerous to teach slaves to read and write. Jefferson did it anyway because he believed it was important. Um, John Adams, who was one of the founders, refused to own slaves. Uh, George Washington owned slaves. But one of them was Billy Lee, who was basically Washington's right-hand man for most of his life. And when Washington died, he left half of his wealth to Billy Lee. I mean, all, almost all the founders, if not all the founders, understood that slavery was a problem with the classical liberal philosophy. And a lot of them could already see that it was a problem that would have to be addressed very soon after the establishment of the nation. But the founders inherited a very large nation with a lot of slaves in it already. Slavery had been practiced and was being practiced in a lot of the states and the entire world at the time, and it wasn't something that could be ended overnight. Now, why didn't they just address it up front? Well, because a lot of the states that were heavily involved with slavery, they needed in order to form the government, in order to form this nation. And they had a choice. The founders had a choice in the beginning between, okay, do you want to actually succeed and win yourself this new nation that can be everything that enlightenment classical liberal philosophy embodies or do you want to lose and that was really the the decision was a pragmatic one because the states in the south if you would have went hard in on slavery right at the very beginning people understood that the uh, the southern states would not have joined with the northern states in the revolution. This is why they got Thomas Jefferson to write the declaration in the first place, because Thomas Jefferson was a southerner, and they wanted a southerner's kind of name on this 
because they needed the support of the southern states. And so they chose Thomas Jefferson, who is a very famous southerner, to write the document itself. And this decision was a pragmatic one of if we want to win, we have to have all the states join in this war against England. And if we, if we spend all of our time focusing just on the slavery issue right now, that's not going to happen. But when they wrote the document, they absolutely understood that the logic within the document was kind of this moral problem that would be addressed later. Uh, for example, Frederick Douglass, the famous uh, slave who was emancipated, who wrote a whole bunch of stuff, very famous American, he said the 4th of July is the first great fact in your nation's history, the very ring bolt in the chain of your yet undeveloped destiny. Are the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence, do they extend to us, talking about black Americans? Frederick Douglass used the Declaration and the American philosophy as a way of pushing for the end of slavery ten years before emancipation happened. A hundred years later, Martin Luther King Jr. said, When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. So, you see that even after, you know, a hundred years after it's written, we're still not there. Well, we're close to there by that time with Martin Luther King, but we, we fought an entire war over this, and eventually the slaves are free and the people who argue for emancipation for freedom for and then later for civil rights the arguments they use are the american philosophy that was written in the declaration in the constitution if all the founders were these horrible bastards who didn't believe in any of this what logic would it make for all these people to argue for freedom, for civil rights, on the basis of the, the classical liberal philosophy? So this argument of, oh, because slavery still existed, this whole document is null and void, well, as I said before, is bullshit. It's bullshit. And uh, we need to stop kind of giving that argument any credence. Anytime you hear it, you should just automatically tell whoever's saying that that they're full of shit, because they are. Now, how do we want to wrap this up? I feel like uh, we need to go back to the document. I started the episode reading the document, and I left off after kind of the introduction. What happens after that introduction that I read? Well, if you remember, uh, they said, ah, 
after a long train of abuses and usurpations. Um, and then to prove this, let, let facts be submitted to a candid world. The reason they, they add that part, let facts be submitted to a candid world, is because the founders didn't just send this letter, this document, to Great Britain. They sent it everywhere. They sent it all over the world, and it was a declaration of who America was, what we believed. And the case that they're making is a case for the entire world. It's not just, it's not just a case for Great Britain. And so where I left off, the next part of the Declaration is a long list of all of the ways that the king has kind of pursued this long train of abuses, as it said earlier. Um, and I'm not going to read them all, because that would be a little bit tedious and a little bit too much, I think, for, for just a podcast, but... All of the reasons that Jefferson lines out and the Founding Fathers line out goes on for, for a page and a half. And it starts out pretty tame, just kind of explaining all of the ways that King George III is kind of screwed up. And by the end, it goes, I would say, kind of goes a little overboard, um... I'll just read this one part, kind of when we, when you get down through it a whole page and a half, this is a quote, he says, He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coast, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. And I'm not saying this isn't true, because it is, but it is kind of a little, it's a hoorah speech almost at this point of, this is what the king is doing. And for some reason, it's probably because I was... When I was young, I watched a lot of Spongebob. I always think of that scene where, uh, I don't know, the episode with Bubble Buddy where he's like, he he brought a plague onto our houses and everybody says he did. And then he says, no, but are we going to wait around until he does? That's kind of where we are in this in the Declaration. He, he kind of lines everything out and makes it sound like the King of England is just the most horrible bastard that ever lived. And was he... Well, kind of, but probably not as bad as Jefferson was making him out to be. But, does that matter? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I guess I'll wrap the whole podcast up with the conclusion of the Declaration. I'll read that kind of for a, for a going out thing here. So at the very end of the, the Declaration, the last paragraph is where we're going to start. And Jefferson says... We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress, assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states." that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that, as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, 
contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, and with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, this last sentence, I think, is very important because it lines out, the, the whole declaration lines out what the American philosophy is, and the last sentence lines out what these men are willing to give for it. And these men say they are willing, they mutually pledge to give to each other their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And at the time that they wrote this, facing down the most powerful government that had existed on the face of the earth up until that point, all of them pretty much understood that they would probably die for this. And I think that's something that is overlooked that is something that is not taught in schools, that is an idea that people don't really linger on, and it's something that I don't think modern Americans understand at all, is this idea that a group of men would pledge their lives to each other, all of their money, their fortunes, because a lot of these men were, were wealthy, kind of upstanding men who had a lot to lose. And then this last one, our sacred honor. Honor. Something that I really think that uh, most people in, not just in America, but in the modern world, have no real concept of. And this goes back to the very beginning, to this idea of, of a belief in a in a higher power, in a higher set of laws. And in virtue, these men were men who believed in morality and in virtue. And this is something that the modern world scoffs at, the idea of virtue and the idea of, of actually pledging yourself to a cause. Most people aren't ready for that, don't want to do that. Most people would rather sit down on any given day and watch football or baseball or soccer than, than think about or pledge themselves to some higher purpose than their own happiness, their own pleasure. And it's a problem. And it's a problem that uh, I don't think we are actually going to address as a nation. And I hate to be the, the stormy rain cloud person, but that's where I think we are. I think there are a lot of people, just by the numbers, there are a lot of people who actually do believe in concepts like virtue and honor and making pledges and and taking oaths to each other. But even though there's a lot of them, it's definitely not the majority. Most people don't think that way. And because we are in this place as we are as a nation, uh, 
where most people don't have any concept of this document, don't have any concept of the American philosophy as a whole. Because we're there, the only way to preserve this idea, this philosophy, is not going to be as a whole any longer. And so to preserve this philosophy, the only way to do it is going to be preserving it in a, a smaller realm than the whole. And I think that's where we're headed. And I think that all of you listening should kind of understand that. You should prepare yourselves for that. And if you are of the inclination to be someone who believes in this, then you absolutely should do it with with everything you have. You should be willing to pledge to each other your lives, your fortune, and your honor. Because if we're not willing to do that, we will absolutely lose. Um, and when I say lose, I just... I, you know what I mean. We'll lose. Because anybody who's not willing to pledge themselves to a cause can't hope to win any sort of cause, morally or or otherwise. So, that's where I'll leave you today. That is the Declaration of Independence. Next week, I don't know, maybe I'll stay on this train. Maybe we'll read some Patrick Henry or something. We'll stay on the, the patriotic train to America town. I don't know. We'll just see what happens. But uh, I'll catch you next time on the Capo Podcast. Thank you for your time. Mm-hmm.